Well, hey, Bible Love listeners, so glad you are back with us in our very special series, Women in Ministry. Before we get started today and I introduce you to our lovely, wonderful guest, I want to continue with our prayer attributed to St. Francis, so the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. So today we have my friend, the Reverend Peggy Muncie with us. Peggy um, is a retired clergy member in the Diocese of Upper South Carolina with me, and I've gotten, had the pleasure of getting to know her. Peggy, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mary Balfour. Of course. I really wanted to have Peggy here because one day I went to have lunch at her wonderful home with her husband, Stephen, and Peggy and I started talking about her ministry and um, some of the things that she's gotten to experience, lots of joys and some heartaches. And I was just so intrigued by her story. And I also was so grateful for all that Peggy did um, to pave the way for women in ministry. And so I just asked Peggy to come and share some of that with us today. So here we are. I'm so glad you're doing that. Well, thank you. So Peggy, let's start, um, maybe not at the beginning, maybe in the middle somewhere. Um, and tell me about your call to ministry and what that looks like. It, it, it came sort of, when, when you said that prayer, um, out of despair, there's hope, that's a way to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I was in my freshman year of college, my father died when I had been there six weeks. Oh, bless you. It was a pretty awful experience um, because everybody else was you know, playing around, having a good time. And I was not in that place. Um, I had a very difficult two, first two years at college. And I was poor, pitiful pearl to myself. And I was very close to the curate of our church who had been incredibly helpful to my mom, uh, who was a very young widow at 46. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald suggested that maybe we should spend some 
time apart because things were getting a little testy. I mean, 20-year-old women and their, their mothers often get testy anyway, but this was exacerbated by my grief and her grief, which were going on. And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to go study somewhere and I'm not going to go backpack through Europe. So, you know, what's the plan? Well, the plan turned out to be a program called the Clayton and Wynette Volunteers, uh, which started in 1948 when John Wynette asked some students and seminarians to come work in the war zone in England. And the program had continued. So this was 1968. The program was 20 years old. And I had no idea I would be accepted. And I was. Wow. And um, I was given an assignment in South Mead Youth Center in Bristol, England. And it was still pretty war-torn. You know, a lot of rubble. If parents knew who... If kids knew who both parents were, that was an oddity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good level of poverty. Um, So I worked in a youth center that was opened uh, when the hours of the pub were open, (laughs) (laughs) giving people something else to do, an alternative experience. And I realized that I was able to communicate with these kids. I was able to talk with them. I was able to bring experiences that we shared together with them. And it was all very wonderful. And I began to think about that. And when I came back to college, um, I began to reflect on that in a lot of ways. Uh, One being that the only course I'd really excelled in in my sophomore year was Christian theology (laughs) uh, because it was a UCC college. And um, then I thought, well, if I can communicate, what's the most important thing that's ever been communicated to me? And that is when you don't think anybody else loves you. The love of God and Jesus Christ is there for you. So if I was going to use the gift that I was beginning to think I had, the gift to communicate with people, Mm -hmm. then that was the most important thing that I felt I could ever communicate. So I ruminated on that and I changed my major to religion and sociology So I've worked a lot with people in field ed, and I really enjoyed the study of religion. I became a good student from a bad student. (laughs) And one night in 1970, early in the year, I walked over to the chapel when the light was on in a professor's office, and I said, does one go to seminary? And Dr. Boston said, we've been wondering when you were going to ask. But Peggy, I love that response. But also, it was 1970. You had not seen, ever seen a female priest in 1970. I mean, it's very brave to ask that question. How does one go to seminary? (laughs) 
you know, I've always been one to push limits. You know, I, I sailed a sailboat until you learn to push against the wind. Yeah. Um, and I figured I could go to the university. Well, I applied to the University of Chicago and Hartford, both which were interdenominational seminaries, mm-hmm. and I was accepted. I was also pretty social activist oriented. And so the University of Chicago under Jesse Jackson and the plunge experience that he had there um, would have been interesting. But then I got cold feet and said, if I'm going to do this, and there are very few women thinking about this even now, I better go where nobody can question what seminary I went to and the theology behind it that I learned. So you were an Episcopalian. So you yes. like, I need to go to an Episcopal seminary. Right? Absolutely right. So I deferred the acceptance for a year and I worked as a juvenile probation officer, which was even more instilling to say, I don't belong as a juvenile probation officer. I I belong in the church. I, I belong as a person who shares the gospel. You got to have those experiences sometimes to kind of figure that out, right? Where you belong. Oh, absolutely. And so general convention met in October of 1970 and passed the canon for deacons ordination. And three weeks later, I was in Bishop Sherman's office with the curate of my church saying, I'd like to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And what diocese was this? Chicago this was the Diocese of Long Island. It was Long a Island. very conservative, tried, true Anglo Catholic diocese. And Bishop Sherman was a very traditional man. I won't say he was conservative, I'll say he was traditional. You know, he was a Connecticut Yankee, he'd gone to Yale, he had gone to general seminary. He had been a fellow and a tutor at general and he'd been on the board at general. So, uh, he said, well, where do you want to go to seminary? Cause he had a very deep voice. And uh-huh. I said, I said, well, I think I need to go to seminary a to an Episcopal seminary and B to a seminary where I'm going to have support of people. I know meaning my family, meaning this guy I met on an airplane, meaning my friends who are working in New York. And I said, well, I want to go to general. And he said, well, it's his seminary. Yeah, he said, well, he got a little plug there. He he was all on board for general. No problem. problem. So um, he said, well, you know, the most important thing he said is, I have never turned anyone down who wants to test their call. But I mean, test their call. Yeah. So you have to go through the process. Back in those days, there was not the kind of discernment process there is today. Right. Um, But there were panels and, and psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. Plus, you have to be accepted to seminary. Right. So let's, but let me stop you there, Peggy, because to me, and this, I've told you this before, but to me, to even test those waters, as Bishop Sherman said, knowing the answer would be, sure, you, you, you might be, sure, you can go to seminary. Sure, you might, you know, do ministry, but we 
have never ordained a woman before. Like that is so brave. I mean, I don't know if I could do that. It, it was a cross between bravery and naivete. Okay. <laughs> it was a cross between that. And it was, it was part of just believing in myself that that was where I, I needed to be. And God had put that on your heart, too. I mean, clear. I, I mean, I don't know if back then I would have used those words. Um, that was far more theological than I was when I went to seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew I had to to try. And, you know, I I often tell this story to people, you know, at seminary, seminary was a very, um, it was like a metronome. There was a certain rhythm to the day when I was there. Right. I, I mean, remember it, that. It, it was a real rhythm, morning prayer, uh, Eucharist in, at noon, except on Tuesdays when it was community Eucharist, evening prayer at 5.30, and, and the bells rang the day. Um some days I literally, you know, I, I, I couldn't bring it, couldn't bring the body to the morning prayer or the evening prayer. And I, I had a room that was kind of funny. We used to call it the half-ass room <laughs> because I was the first student there. So they put me in what had been a former married student's room and it had a bedroom, a beautiful living room and sitting room. And then this combination bathroom and kitchen. I mean, it was weird. Uh, and I used to sit on the, the old New York city uh, radiator and look down the clothes. I could see all the way down the clothes and I could see the chapel and I'd sit there and almost, it was like being in prayer. And I'd say, if, if I'm supposed to be here, keep me here. But if I'm not, you got to give me the sign. Just, just give me the sign, God. And, and then I'll know. But the sign never came and more signs to encourage me to stay remained. Um, now it wasn't easy. You know, the faculty, for the most part, were super supportive. That's great. Some of the students weren't. Mm -hmm. Were there any other women there with you? Um, The second semester, Paige Bigelow came over. She had done uh, a a year at Drew in New Jersey. So, So the first semester, you were the only female in your class? Yeah. Let's just pause at that for a minute. That is very intimidating. Again, brave of you. I'm so thankful that you said yes to that. It it was like, okay, you know, you're with people and, you know, just, you know, there were guys, there were girls, some of the wives were around. I mean, there were other women, the faculty wives were very supportive and nice sitting in the classroom with you. sitting in the classroom. I was pretty much alone. And I remember the one, I guess I told you this, but the first exam that I took in the blue book was old Testament. Mm-hmm. And Boyce Bennett was the professor and, you know, everybody's nervous to take their first seminary exam. You remember that. Mm-hmm. 
and we take it. And then, you know, two classes later, you get the blue book back, but you can't bear to open it. So you would go back to your room and you open it. And I kind of went, oh, my God. And it was, you know, I got a really good grade. And it said, excellent understanding of covenant. Oh, wow. And, you know, I said, okay, we're in for this one, you know. Got some confidence. Yep, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so you go through seminary, then what happens? Oh, I had a very good 1974. Yes. Uh, I graduated from seminary uh, on May 15th. Um, Paige and I graduated together. It was... There were about 30 of us in the class. No, 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 there were 18, 30 some odd started, 18 graduated. And, and the professors came around and presented Paige and I champagne on a silver tray that we could toast that right <laughs> at awesome. the, right at the front of the seminary. Uh, June 15th, uh, I was ordained in the chapel, uh, in the Cathedral of the Incarnation in Garden City with uh, Bishop Sherman, did the ordination. Uh, two of my classmates from general were ordained with me, Bruce Chilton and Bob Odierna, and a guy who was a vocational deacon for my parish, Dan Harris. So it was a lovely ordination. And then on July 27th, I married the Reverend Stephen Bowley in the chapel at General Seminary. And that's a big year. That's oh, a big year. I started my job at Vassar as Episcopal chaplain to Vassar on August 28th. Now, in all that, though, Peggy, you were ordained a deacon, but you still did not know if you were be ordained a priest at that time, right? Because that not, that had not happened yet. It had not happened because the General Convention of 1973 said no to the priesthood canon. I mean, I remember being in Louisville. I remember Sam Wiley, who was the dean of the seminary at that point, coming out with this look on his face and hugging three of us who were there saying, no, you must wait. And I had promised Bishop Sherman I would wait, that obedience would be what I would pledge to him. So I didn't, I'd only been ordained a deacon a month and two days when the when the um, ordination of the women in Philadelphia, the 11, mm-hmm. extra canonical ordination happened. Mm-hmm. And I literally could not be there because I was sitting on a plane getting ready to go to Ireland on my honeymoon. Your honeymoon, yes. And but how long were you a deacon? I was a deacon for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ordained, well... In ge- the past, Peggy, we should tell people the typical when you are a transitional deacon, and what I experienced was six months. That's right. Or it had always been six months. A transitional deacon, and then six months later, you're ordained a priest. So Peggy had to wait three years to be ordained a priest. Yeah. And it, even a little couple of months longer because I would have been ordained in January of 1977, when it was first legal, the first woman ordained to the Episcopal priesthood canonically, legally, under the canon laws of the church, was ordained at midnight 
in Indianapolis. Her name was Doris Moat. Uh, and then there were a whole string of them after that. Um, the, and I went to 21 ordinations. To wow. The wow. But everybody kept saying, who's the short, fat deacon? <laughs> well, the short, fat deacon was eight months pregnant. I was about to say, you were not fat. You were having children. <laughs> That's right. My first daughter was born on Ash Wednesday, 1977. That's and I, mm-hmm. I came home. And I had lived and worked in in New York for two years, two and a half. And um, the Diocese of Long Island, which was my canonical diocese, would not let my papers. The bishop had changed, and the bishop would not receive papers for ordination to the priesthood. Mm. However, um, the suffragan bishop of New York had gone out to Harold, right, had gone out to Long Island because he had been out there and worked out there and asked on behalf of Bishop Paul Moore to have my papers brought to the Diocese of New York. So literally, they were driven across the Triborough Bridge. Um, Bishop Moore received my papers, and I'd been home from the hospital with Victoria for two days, and the phone call came. Hi, Congratulations on the baby. What did you call it? Victoria. Oh, you had a girl. Great. Um, would you, when would you like to be ordained? So just like, no questions, like pick your date. And I said, April 25th, St. Mark's Day. I've had to roar like a lion for all these years. So I think it's kind of appropriate. Oh, oh great. God. Fine. Where would you like to be ordained? The chapel at Vassar College with my kids. Terrific. Would you like me to ask Bishop Sherman to ordain you? Oh, yes. I love it. And so that happened in 1977. April 25th, 1977. Um, I know how many years that is because it was a few months before I was born. I, you have been a priest as long as I've been alive, and I love that. I love that, love that. Okay, the time goes so fast, so I just want to ask you a couple of quick more questions. So not only are you a priest, you finally get ordained, you were so brave and did all this, you are married to an Episcopal priest, and in the midst of this, you have two children. That's a lot. How did you and Stephen kind of do all this in a short answer, if possible, you know, Uh, Both your ministries and raise your children. The short answer was we decided we would never minister in the same place at the same time. And two churches, two parish churches would be divisive for us. God gave me a path in the fact that um, I had started a calling ministry at a hospital um, back before HIPAA. (laughs) when You could do that. And, um, I visited Episcopalians in the region, and I loved it. And so I decided to go ahead. I'd already had two units of CPE from seminary, and I took the rest of them and became board certified. So I became a board certified chaplain, and a chaplaincy ministry allowed me to put limits on my day, to bracket my day. That was one of the first things. The second was I knew I needed help. 
good help. It was before the days of daycare. I had a really good person to take care of Victoria. Eight years later, when I had Caroline, I literally got an au pair mm-hmm. um, to be at home and help me. So help became essential. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say that it was that we we didn't have, you know, like, why the heck aren't you home for dinner or can't yeah. you do more of this? But you know, you made it work, which I, which I, a lot of people that I know that are both ministers, you know, both spouses are ministers. It's very difficult, but I, I love that very early on you found your calling, you know, as a chaplain, as a priest, you still got to do sacramental things when you supplied or when you, you know, were doing whatever you were doing. Well, well in the hospital, the hospital, right. All and the nursing home, because I worked my longest minute, well, my all my ministries have been nine and a half to ten years. Yeah. yeah, and the I worked as as um, director for uh, spiritual services for Episcopal retirement homes. So I had an Episcopal sacramental ministry in that home. Yeah, and so you got. I love that you were able to find that balance. And now you and Stephen are kind of retired. I mean, one of the ways that I got to know you all is Stephen was the interim at Church of the Resurrection where I serve and Peggy and Stephen have shown up and loved me in this endlessly. And they also often supply for me so that I can take a break. And um, so you're still getting to do this ministry, even though you have retired from Canterbury Counseling, even though Stephen is retired, you're still, you'll always be priest, right? And that's exciting. You never give it up. And and one of the things I do that's kind of exciting right now is um, I have a consultancy ministry with healthcare chaplaincy. And the cutting edge ministry is telechaplaincy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. In home care. And so I supervise telechaplains in two home care agencies. That's awesome. And you're a grandmother. And oh, Bradley Alexander, I was just at his birthday party. Yes, you're getting to do all these things, which I love. Still very involved with General Seminary in New York. I know that y'all are a part of that. And I'm just always, just every time I see you, I'm so grateful and thankful um, that God called you and that you said yes. <laughs> Even in a time when you weren't sure if if it would all happen, you know. There's something about mm, the the blindness of hope. Mm. Uh, That if you really know and feel that you need to do something, that you need to move in that direction, even though you're walking through the dark, you're going to get that little guidance. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for being you. I love you very much. And I'm so grateful for this time with you. Listeners, remember, as always, that we love you. But most importantly, God does. 